10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship. Appreciate those who have led us in our worship. Looking forward to this time of study that we're able to have together in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. If you have your Bible and you'd like to turn there with me, we're going to be studying in what John just read for us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 24, 25. This morning we're continuing our series of sermons about having a passion for God. Being enthusiastic about spiritual things. Having a fire in our heart that burns for Jesus. We're continuing to talk about passion builders. In other words, we're asking the question, how can we build a passion for God? How can we build a passion for God and enthusiasm for spiritual things that is deeper and greater and more dynamic than what it is right now? What do we need to do to allow the fire in our hearts for Jesus to not diminish, not to remain the same, but to grow, to burn brighter and hotter each and every day that we live? In this series of lessons, we've given a few different responses to that. Before the tornado, we thought about how if we're going to build our passion for God, we need to look forward to the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 10. If we're going to build our passion for God, then we need to look forward to the day when we're finally going to see Jesus face to face. The day when we're going to receive our reward. When we think about the judgment seat of Christ, that shouldn't be something that we're afraid of. That shouldn't be something that we're scared of. But it's something that should produce within us great confidence and expectation and hope. Looking forward to the day whenever I finally hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. If we're going to build our passion for God, last week we talked about how in 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 and 15, we are to be controlled, we are to be compelled by the love of Jesus. Paul says in that text that we're controlled by the love of Jesus because of what He did for us. One has died for all. And as a result of that, we have the opportunity to die to ourselves. If we're going to build our passion for God, we have to recognize just how much Jesus loves us and the impact that should have on our daily lives. Jesus died for me, and now my life is no longer about me. My life is about Him. Passionately and enthusiastically doing what He wants me to do. This morning, I want to suggest to you from Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, If we're going to build our passion for God, then we need to be connected to the people of Christ. Three passion builders. How can I build a passion for God? I look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm compelled by the love of Christ. And I'm connected to the people of Christ. I believe it was on November 21st. In this series of lessons, we talked about how sometimes people can be a passion killer. 
As Christians, sometimes we can allow people to kill our passion for God, to rob us of our enthusiasm for Jesus. Today, I want us to look on the flip side of that coin. Just like people can be passion killers, people can also be passion builders. Just like people, just like we can allow people to kill our passion for God, we can also allow people to build our passion for God whenever we are together, whenever we are here in this place. We not only have the opportunity, but we have the responsibility to build one another's passion for the Lord. And I think that's what's commanded. I think that's what's expected when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Before we dig into the text though, let's take just a minute to think about the context of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, we believe, was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were really struggling with their faith in Jesus. It was written to a group of Jewish Christians who were being tempted, they were being pressured to go back to the Old Testament law. The argument that the Hebrew writer presents from Hebrews 1 all the way to Hebrews 10 can be summed up in one sentence, just three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. As these Jewish Christians are being tempted to go back to the Old Testament law, the argument that the Hebrew writer presents is that Jesus is better than anything that you find in the Old Testament law. Jesus is superior to anything that you find in that system. So the natural question that follows is why would you leave Him? If Jesus is better... If Jesus is truly superior to everything in the Old Testament system, why would you leave Him? Why would you go back? Why would you leave something that is superior for something that is inferior? I think the same principle can be applied in our lives. We can ask ourselves the same question. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything that we could ever leave Him for. If that's the case, why would we leave Him? When we recognize that Jesus is better, when we see His superiority in our lives, we're going to be motivated to stay. We're going to be motivated to be faithful to Him. We're going to be motivated to passionately and enthusiastically serve Him every day that we live. As we continue into Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, the Hebrew writer takes a more practical turn. He's laid down his theological, doctrinal idea. He's presented his argument throughout the first ten chapters of Hebrews, Jesus is better. So when you look at Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25, the writer not only provides a summary of that main point, but he provides some practical implications of Jesus' superiority. One of those is what we're going to be talking about together this morning. In Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, we have the opportunity and we have the responsibility to build one another's passion for God. According to this text, in order to build one another's passion for God, then number one, in verse 24, we have to stir up one another. The Bible says in verse 24, I'm reading out of the ESV, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. The Greek word there for stir up literally means to stimulate. It can also mean to provoke. Have you ever had somebody provoke you before? 
You have somebody in your life that knows how to push your buttons, somebody that knows how to rile you up. I remember whenever I was four years old, I was at a Christmas get-together with my dad's side of the family, minded my own business, when all of a sudden I heard footsteps coming in my direction. One of my cousins was screaming at the top of her lungs, and when I turned around to look, she had a knife held over her head like she was going to stab me with it. Now, in my mind, it looked like this. It looked like she was holding the machete that was about as tall as she was. In reality, it looked more like this. Yes, it was a plastic knife that she was running at me at, but in in the mind of a four-year-old, a knife is a knife. Okay, So she's running at me full force, yelling at the top of her lungs, has this knife over her head like she's about to come down on me with it. I was bigger than she was. And so as she was running at me, I did just enough to, to push her away. She ended up falling down, started crying, and ran off. I thought that was the end of it. It turns out she went to her mom and told her mom that I had pushed her down. She conveniently left out the part about the knife and, and running at me with that. that. That was left out. So her mom went and told my dad. My dad came and got me by the back of my neck. He dragged me up the stairs in my great aunt's house. First door on the left was the bathroom. We went in there, shut the door, and he wore me out. If I would have known the word, do you know what my argument would have been? But dad, I was provoked. I didn't do it for nothing. She deserved it. She was running at me with knives. She she made me do it. She provoked me to do that. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. Stir up one another stimulate one another, provoke one another, not to anger, not to fear, like my cousin provoked me, not to sadness, not to guilt, but to love and good works. Do you have a person in your life where after spending time with them, you feel so much better? You have a person in your life where you feel better walking away from the conversation than you did entering into the conversation. A person that pumps you up. A person that makes you excited. A person that makes you enthusiastic. That's the kind of impact, according to verse 24, that we should have on one another. Whenever we leave this place, we shouldn't leave barely having a pulse. Whenever we leave this place, we should leave stirred up. We should leave provoked. We should leave stimulated to live lives that are defined by love the rest of the week. Whenever we leave this place, we should leave pumped up. We should leave excited and enthusiastic to do all the good works that we can. We're stirring one another up to love and good works. Notice that there has to be some intentionality to this. The Hebrew writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is not something that just happens. He says it's something that we have to consider. What does it mean to consider something? You know the statue of the thinker? Where he's sitting down, he has his hand under his chin, and it really looks like he's contemplating something. What does it mean to consider something? Whenever you consider something, that means you're going to sit there and you're going to think long and hard about it. If I'm going to stir you up, then it requires me to think about you. To consider your personality. To think about my relationship with you. What I know about you. What would be the best way for me 
to stir this person up to love and good works. It requires us to know one another. It requires us to know one another intimately, I would suggest. Because what stirs me up might not be what stirs you up. What provokes me to love and good works might not be what provokes you to love and good works. And the same is true the other way around. I have to think about it. Whenever I go to worship today, how can I provoke Michael to love and good works? All 50 of them that we have in this congregation. If, 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 if I'm going to stimulate, if I'm going to provoke Gary, Cody, Jamie, Donna, Marty, Joel to love and good works, then what do I need to do to, to do that? What would be the best way to do that for that individual? It's something that we have to consider. It's something that we have to think about. We have to be intentional about this. This is not just something that happens. In order to build one another's passion for God, then we have to stir one another up. I think oftentimes we're guilty of categorizing people in our lives. Imagine this scene for just a second. You're walking down the street. Maybe you have your kid with you. And as you walk down the street, you see somebody that you know. You throw up your hand. They throw up their hand. You say hi. You keep walking. What question is the kid going to ask? Who was that? How do you know that person? What's that person's name? That's what I asked whenever I was a kid. Oh, well, that's just somebody I work with. That's somebody I used to go to school with. That's somebody that I just go to church with. Whenever we look around this room, we have to realize these are not just people that we go to church with. Whenever we look around this room, as we're together in this place, we have to understand, we have to recognize these are not just people that we get together with on Sundays and Wednesdays. Here we have a family, and in this family we have the responsibility to not just be stirred up, but to stir up one another to love and good works. What does that look like practically? Well, like we mentioned just a minute ago, before I come into worship, I need to spend some time thinking. Pick out a specific person. And think about them. Think about their personality. Think about your relationship with them. And ask yourself the question, what would be the best way to stir up this person? Think about it. Then when you see them, do it. Then the next week, pick out somebody else. How can I stir this person up to love and good works? Think about it. Then do it. Then the next week, think about somebody else in order to build one another's passion for God then we must stir one another up number two in order to build one another's passion for God we must meet with one another which just makes sense doesn't it I'm not going to be able to build your passion for God if you're not here and you're not going to be able to build my passion for God if I'm not here there's no way for us to stir one another up to love and good works unless we meet with one another. Unless we assemble together. Unless we spend time with one another. And I think that's the point of what the Hebrew writer says at the beginning of Hebrews 10 and verse 25. See, verse 24 says that we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then here's how we do it. Not neglecting to meet together. The Greek word for neglect means to forsake. 
I think some translations, older translations, will say forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. It means to abandon something. To be honest with you, I think that we sometimes misinterpret this verse just a little bit. Hebrews 10 and verse 25 is not teaching you that you have to have a perfect church attendance record to go to heaven. That's not what this verse is teaching. This verse is not talking about those who have to miss services every once in a while for work or sickness or health reasons for as a result of catastrophic circumstances that happen in a person's life. Picture what it looks like to neglect a child. Picture what it looks like to abandon a building. What does an abandoned building look like? That's the picture that we find in Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. This is talking about a person who says, you know, the times when we meet together as a church, those just aren't important to me. Those are not really a priority in my life. I'll allow X, Y, and Z to come before that. Forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, neglecting to meet together, what is it in verse 25? The Hebrew writer calls it a habit. And it's a habit that's easy to fall into, isn't it? We're originally writing to Christians who were struggling with their faith in Jesus. Jewish Christians who were struggling to remain faithful to Jesus. Do you think one of the reasons they struggled is because they were neglecting the times when they were meeting together? Do you think one of the reasons that they struggled is that they were forsaking the assembling of themselves together? I would suggest that it is. It's impossible for me to be stirred up to love and good works if I'm not here. And it's impossible for you to be stirred up and for you to stir up other people if you are not here. That is what we miss out on. Just like any other habit, it doesn't happen all at once, does it? You miss one time, hurts your conscience a little bit, but then you miss again and again and again, and eventually it becomes a habit. Especially with the threat of COVID-19, so many people have fallen into the habit of neglecting the times when we meet together. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. If we're going to build one another's passion for God, then we have to spend time with each other. We have to meet together. We have to assemble together as the body of Christ. I'm reminded of a story about an elderly lady who had a young man who lived next to her, and that young man would do anything for her that she wanted him to do. Sometimes without even being asked, he would take her garbage, clean up sticks in the yard, help her bring in her groceries from the car into the house, help her clean up around the house. One day, the older woman eventually asked him, how did you become such a fine young man? Why are, are you so passionate about helping people like me? There's a lot of other things you could be doing. The young man dropped his head and said, to be honest with you, ma'am, when I was younger, I had a drug problem. She was shocked. What do you mean you had a drug problem? S somebody like you had a drug problem? He said, it's true, I had a drug problem. Every single Sunday morning, my parents drug me to church. And then they drug me back on Sunday night. And then even on Wednesday night, they drug me out to the Bible study. I had a drug problem. You know, maybe in some circumstances, having a drug problem is not such a bad thing. 
the reality is we shouldn't have to be drug here. We should want to be here more so than anywhere else in our lives because what happens here isn't just contained to this hour that we spend in worship. What happens here impacts our lives in so many different ways. Because that young man lived in obedience to Hebrews 10 and verse 25, because he didn't forsake the, time, the times when Christians assembled together, he was passionate. He was passionate about serving God. He was passionate about serving other people. It's going to be impossible for us to have that passion if we don't meet with one another, if we don't spend time with one another, if that's not a priority in every single one of our lives. We have to be careful not to fall into this habit. It's a habit that's easy to fall into. In order to build one another's passion for God, then I have to be here and you have to be here. And then finally, number three, in order to build one another's passion for God, we must encourage one another. You can see his line of reasoning throughout verses 24 and 25. I think this last point does a really good job of lying alongside of everything that we've talked about so far. Verse 24, we stir one another up to love and good works. We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together in verse 25. We don't neglect the times when we meet together, as is the habit of some. But instead of neglecting the times we meet together, what do we do? We encourage one another. Sometimes life can be hard. Sometimes life can be really difficult. As Christians, we go through trials as individuals. We deal with all kinds of different temptations. Maybe we sometimes find ourselves in similar situations to the original audience of this letter where I'm struggling with my faith in Jesus. And I'm struggling to live a life of faithfulness and obedience to Him. As people, throughout all the difficulties of life, we need encouragement. And as Christians, verse 25, that is exactly what we are to give to one another. This is one of the ways that we stir one another up. This is one of the ways that we stimulate and provoke one another to love and good works. This is the reason why we don't forsake the assembly. This is the reason why we prioritize the times when we're together in this place because this is what you miss out on. If you're not here, then you can't be encouraged and more importantly, you can't encourage other people. This is even what's missed out on whenever people choose to only worship in a virtual way. Through Facebook, through our live stream. Don't get me wrong, I think our live stream is a good thing. But if you only worship virtually, if you only worship through the live stream, there's no way for you to be encouraged and there's no way for you to encourage other people. It's a responsibility that we have as the body of Christ to build one another up instead of tearing one another down. If we're going to build one another's passion for God, then we have to encourage one another. There's a sense of urgency to this. At the end of verse 25, the Hebrew writer says that we can see the day drawing near. I think there the day is referring to the day when Jesus is going to return. With every passing second, we're drawing closer to that day. Do you realize that? Jesus could return at any time. We don't know when it's going to be. It could be in the next five seconds. It could be in the next five minutes. The next five hours. Five days. Five weeks. It could be in the next 5,000 years. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. But with each passing second, we're drawing nearer to that day. 
So how should we respond to that? Oh, well, I'll, I'll start working on this next week. I'll encourage somebody and I'll be intentional about encouraging somebody whenever I come back tonight for our worship, sir. No, don't start to encourage people later. Don't start to encourage people tomorrow. The Hebrew writer says encourage people today. The day is drawing near. Jesus could return at any moment. And so let's have a sense of urgency about reaching out and building one another up. If we're going to build one another's passion for God, then we have to encourage one another. If you've read or studied anything about photography, then maybe you've come across the name Edward Steichen. He's held as one of the most influential figures in the history of photography. What's kind of ironic is that he almost wasn't a photographer at all. Whenever he was 16 years old, he bought his first camera. And he was so excited about it. He took his camera around his house and took 50 pictures. Out of those 50 pictures, only one of them turned out. Only one of them wasn't blurry. And it was a picture of his sisters sitting and playing the piano. Everybody in his life told him that he should give up. His father told him, well, if you can't do any better than that, if you can't get more than one picture to turn out out of 50, you don't even need that camera. You should sell it and get your money back. It seems, at least from Steichen's perspective, that everyone in his life had that attitude. That he should just give up. If you can't do better than that, throw in the towel. He was about to throw in the towel. He was about to give up. But then his mother stepped in. She encouraged him to keep going. And so he did. Every time he had a picture that turned out the way that he wanted it to turn out, he would bring it to her and she would build him up. She, she'd go on and on about how much better he's gotten and how much better he will be if he sticks with it. He did stick with it. And as a result, he became, like we said a minute ago, one of the most influential figures in the history of photography. If he would have listened to the, the majority of people in his life, he would have never become that. He would have never reached his full potential. If he would have listened to his father, to his siblings, to his friends, he would have given up and his passion for photography would have been killed. But because one person encouraged him, he kept going. Because one person encouraged him, he kept moving forward. And as a result of that, his passion wasn't killed, it was built. As a result of that, he was able to reach his full potential in photography because of one person's encouragement. Like we said a minute ago, life can be really, really hard sometimes. And sometimes the difference between a person giving up and a person moving forward is an encouraging word. So don't use your words. Don't use your actions to tear people down, to kill their passion for Jesus. Use your words, use your actions as a tool to build people's passion for Jesus, to help them to reach their full spiritual potential. In order to build one another's passion for God, we need to encourage one another and we need to have a sense of urgency about it. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. Before you leave this auditorium this morning, find somebody to encourage. Build somebody up in some kind of way. Imagine the difference that we could make in one another's lives if we were to really take that seriously. 
We've been thinking about an important question over the last three lessons in this series. I think a serious one. One that impacts our daily lives as followers of Jesus. How can we build a passion for God? We've talked about three passion builders. We need to look forward to the judgment seat of Christ. We need to be controlled by the love of Christ. And we need to be connected to the people of Christ. Stirring one another up. Meeting with one another. Making that a priority. And encouraging one another as we see the day of the Lord drawing near. When you look at that list of passion builders, do you see a common theme? What do all those answers from Scripture have in common? It's all about Jesus, isn't it? The judgment seat of Christ. The love of Christ. The people of Christ. Do you really want to build your passion for God? Do you really want to live a life where you're enthusiastic about spiritual things? Do you want to be on fire for the Lord? You have to recognize there's a lot of passion builders that we could talk about in Scripture. But what each and every one of them have in common is Christ. If you want to be passionate for the Lord, if you want to live a life of enthusiasm for spiritual things, you need to spend some time thinking about Jesus and working on your relationship with Him. If you want to know where your passion for God is this morning, what does your relationship with Jesus look like? Is it something you need to work on? Are there some repairs that need to be made? Is it something you need to come back to? Is it something that you need to begin this morning in the waters of baptism? If we can help you to build your passion for God in any way, then let us do that. Let us know about it as together we stand and sing as Benny leads us. Not a burden we bear. 
Miss Mary has responded to the invitation this morning, requesting our prayers. Her husband, Alex, is down here. They've been visiting with us here at Seven Oaks. I know we've been blessed to have them here. Uh, she's come requesting prayers, stating that since the tornado, life has been really difficult, and I think that's something that we can all relate to, especially on a spiritual level, that since the tornado, I think many of us have struggled uh, with different questions and different doubts, struggling to be excited and passionate like we've been talking about. So she's requested our prayers on her behalf. So if we would, let's take a minute to pray for Miss Mary and for her family, and then uh, Michael will have some closing announcements for us. Father, we love you, and we're thankful for today. We're thankful for the time that we've been able to spend in worship and thankful for how you dwell in this place we know that through your spirit you dwell in your people and we're thankful that we're reminded of that every week whenever we come together and we think about scripture and we think about spiritual things especially at this time we want to pray broadly for the city of mayfield and all those struggling as a result as a result of the tornado those who are struggling physically and emotionally but most of all spiritually this time we want to pray for mary her husband Alex, that you'll be with her and that you'll bless her, that you will uh, renew her passion for you, and Father, that she will be able to live in a relationship with you every day that glorifies you, that points other people towards you, a relationship that is fulfilling, and a relationship that is dynamic. We pray that you'll forgive for those uh, areas where she's misstepped, where all of us have misstepped, and we pray that you'll help us to move forward in great diligence and passion as we seek to serve you on a daily basis. Thank you uh, that we have a family here where we can bear one another's burdens and we can confess our faults and approach you together and, and receive healing from that. We're thankful that we're reminded about that in the book of James, in the book of Galatians, and every time we assemble. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the time that we spent together. It's through him that we pray. Amen. Again, welcome this morning. Certainly encouraged by your attendance today. I invite you back tonight at 6 p.m. for our evening worship. And on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we had 136 in attendance for a Bible class and 206.